are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Tuesday, May 18th edition of Power to the Pod here on Locked On Dolphins. It is your show today, your questions, your topics, your hot takes, you name it, pertaining to the Miami Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. Director of Scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com, Managing Editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and quarterbacking or piloting this episode of Locked on Dolphins, but only in spirit. This is your time to have the floor. We give this every Tuesday. You guys speak your minds, and we talk about the things that are most pressing to each and every one of you. Uh, so, of course, we have some news and notes, and, and these things are covered throughout the course of Power to the Pod this week, so I won't uh, bury the lead or anything like that, but at the same time, it is worth mentioning the Dolphins were awarded Syracuse cornerback Trill Williams on the waiver wire on Monday. Uh, Williams was an undrafted free agent out of the 2021 NFL draft class, presumably related to an ankle injury that ended his 2020 college season after just five games. And then, of course, uh, OTAs. Uh, organized team activities, the Dolphins, uh, after releasing a statement stating that they stood in unity with those across the league who plan to exercise their right to skip voluntary workouts, the Dolphins themselves had 70-plus show up for day one of organized team activities on Monday, including Miles Gaskin, who dropped some really interesting nuggets throughout the course of his press availability with the South Florida media on Monday afternoon. So let's get into it. Let's not waste any time. It's power to the power. We're going to start with the iTunes questions, and then we'll get to the Twitter questions, which are sure to have the more topical Trill Williams, Dolphins playbook, Miles Gaskin topics involved. But we're starting with Dan. Double dip incoming. Does Gronk have the angle? And the answer is emphatically no. Rob Gronkowski, I just checked. He indeed does still not have the angle on Kenyon Drake. And number two, as a fellow enjoyer of quality television programming, if you could go on one, oh, okay, Dan's a guy after my heart here. You could go on one Rick and Morty adventure. What would it be? I'll hang up and listen. It has to be the vat of acid uh, would be my adventure of choice. Uh, I am not a guy who has a ton of time for cartoons, but when my daughter was born in December, uh, inevitably when she needed to be held at 3 a.m., one of the things that was on the television was Rick and Morty. And, of course, you shield the kid's eyes so she doesn't get the chance to watch it because she's it's not age-appropriate. But at the same time, uh, it was nice to sit down in the midst of what is typically one of my busiest stretches of the year and just enjoy something mindless for a little bit. So I'm going to go with Vat of Acid as my choice. Uh, Five-star review from Colorado Springs from Kyle. Quick power to the pod question. Miami fell flat. After promising playoff seasons in 2008 and 16, what outside of the obvious Brian Flores answer makes this Dolphins team different? That is an excellent question, and I wish I had like a concrete answer for you, but that is one of my biggest anxiety points about the 2021 season because uh, we don't know if it's going to be different than 2009 
and 2017. Of course, 2017, Ryan Tannehill was hurt. Jay Cutler started. There was Brock Osweiler experience as well. Uh, that got super all kinds of nutty. I'd like to think Miami organizationally because they have set the fountain. Like 2008, let's be honest. That team was coming off a 1-15 season. They had no business winning 11 games that year from a talent-level perspective. Super fun team. Chad Pennington fell right into their laps and elevated the entirety of the offense. There was the Wildcat that was introduced that season as well. Miami overachieved. In 2016, Miami, an anomaly, won a bunch of, of close games right? You you think about that 2016 season and just how little, uh, with little conviction, Miami was winning football games, right? Miami won 10 games that season, eight of which were one-score football games, and the team had a negative 17-point differential on the season. Those are not indicators of true success, uh, that's that's not sustainable model of successful business. The Dolphins this past year, nearly plus 70 in the point differential. They won 10 football games just like they did in 2016. But if you sit here and count the quality wins, the blowout, the perceived quote-unquote blowout wins, the multi-score wins, Jacksonville, week three, San Francisco, week five, the Jets, week six, the Rams, week eight, the Jets again later in the season in week 11 or week 12. The Bengals week 13. The Patriots week 15. For Miami to play that many games and win by multiple scores. I mean that that's a super impressive stretch of play for Miami. And, and of course they're Point differential was much, much, much better and got soured in Week 17 by giving up 56 points or whatever it was. I refuse to, to actually look at the box score or anything like that and acknowledge that the game actually happened. But I think there's more promising clues, including the fact that the Dolphins invested for all of 2019 and the 2020 offseason uh, to rebuild uh, with that in mind. Uh, so I think those are some of the key differences between what we saw from the Dolphins of their last two winning seasons versus the Dolphins from this time around. This is a fun one. This, this comes to us from D. Crane. Um, Dolphins fan in Ohio found this podcast the day after our comeback win over the Raiders. Man, great time to get on board. Uh, thanks for the Dol daily Dolphins content. Uh, from top to bottom post-draft, how would you rank the AFC East compared to the other divisions? I am tired of hearing how tough the AFC North is from coworkers with an eye roll emoji. Well, I think you look at the AFC East and there are three teams that have a legitimate chance in my mind to win 10 plus football games this year. And let's just use that as a very uh, elementary way to look at things. The AFC North, Baltimore and Cleveland have very strong chances of having 10 plus wins. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I think are going to be on the outside looking in on that just based on their offense and what that looks like this year. The defense very well may carry them, um, but they are a team that is fringe qualifying for that criteria for me, and I don't think Cincinnati will get there. So they get, let's give them two and a half. Uh, I do think the AFC East with their three teams, Buffalo, Miami, and New England, uh, is a little bit more competitive with their 
potential playoff field than what Pittsburgh can bring to the table as the third team. AFC South, AFC East is more difficult. Uh, The AFC West, Kansas City obviously is the king out in the West. There's not as many established teams. Denver's got a big quarterback problem. The Chargers have uh, some defensive health questions. Uh, They they lost some prominent players uh, this offseason. They obviously revamped the offensive line, but that all has to gel. They've got Justin Herbert going into a second year. Uh, And then the Raiders are a big question mark. I would also put them down as a team that's probably two, two and a half to win 10 games. Uh, So I might say just if you're looking at the depth of the division, the Dolphins and the AFC East uh, are one of the, if not the deepest in the AFC conference. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Get in on all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and UFC before the next pitch. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news sign-up bonuses and contest information available to you. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We've been telling you about our friends over at Built Bar for quite some time now, and if you have not made the leap, this is the perfect time to do so. There's some delicious flavors. I uh, saw so they got a birthday cake flavor that's coming out. Uh, they've been hyping that up. Uh, Built Bar, protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are low in calories, low in sugar, high in fiber, high in protein. They taste delicious. It is literally like eating a candy bar. So whether you're looking for something post-workout, something on the go, something for breakfast, something for lunch, something for dinner, something for dessert, you name it. Built Bar can be that for you. You visit BuiltBar.com, you place an order, and you use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll save 15% on your next order. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, save 15%, and find out what all the fuss is about for yourself. We have just a handful of review questions left, including this one from Confused But Excited, uh, Waddle House, five-star review. Kyle, really enjoy the pod. You've helped the offseason not become a snooze fest. Thank you. That's my objective is for us to all stay engaged in this team, up to date with what's going on with it, and I'll stay excited about this process that's taking place in South Florida. With us not getting an upgrade at running back this offseason, what do you anticipate from the offense? Do you think the playmakers were added to incorporate more for four verts like Trent Dilfer said Tua was good at? Question mark. Do you think Flores switched his mindset to score more and keep pace with the Bills and Kansas City? I think that's an interesting point about you know crafting a team that's capable of beating uh, the Buffalo Bills, and that's you know, a pretty common theme amongst NFL franchises that they look at the teams in their division. They say, well, the easiest way to punch your ticket to the postseason is to win your division. So you got to be able to beat those teams. Miami has historically done well against New England, as well as anybody could hope when Tom Brady was here, and they obviously split the season series last year. Then you have the Jets, who four of the last five years have finished in last place in the AFC East. Uh, Miami has performed well against the Jets in recent years. And then you have Buffalo, who has just completely owned the Dolphins. And I definitely think uh, more points being accessible uh, 
had to happen for the Dolphins. And it wasn't just the Bills, in my opinion. I think it's more so you look at the way, the style of play this team had last year. The two best indicators, and and what I do in the summer a lot once I get out of draft season, is I I watch a lot of coaching clinics and lectures from coaches uh, and really just try and continue to better my knowledge of the game. And I I was listening to uh, Joe Moorhead, uh, the offensive coordinator at the University of Oregon, who spent some time as the head coach at Mississippi State. He was the OC at Penn State. And he talked about how the two most prominent indicators of success are explosive plays and turnovers. So if you want to win more games than you lose, have more explosive plays than the opposition, and have better ball security than the opposition. Because there's no easier way, and Steve Sarkeesian, who everybody wanted to be the Dolphins OC when he was uh, before he took the head coaching job at Texas, did multiple coaching lectures, and it's phenomenal for your football IQ if you haven't had a chance to watch them. Uh, talked about the need for perfection from all 11 players to string together nickel and diming your way down the field for 10, 11, 12 plays is much more difficult than scoring in five and having one or two explosive plays along the way. And that was the big roadblock for Miami. So I think that was probably maybe not directly from those sources or inspiration, but as the Dolphins assessed what they had as a team, that was a painfully obvious sore spot that the team needed to work on. Last one that's showing up in the queue here as of today, and if I missed it, I'll try and grab it next week. I always try my best to get the the iTunes reviews in. Uh, It comes from Luke with 13 wide receivers on the roster. How many do you see making this team? Which players do you think will stick? So let's go ahead and have my producer, a.k.a. myself, pull up the Dolphins death chart so I make sure I get the right names here. Devontae Parker on the roster. Will Fuller on the roster. Jalen Waddell on the roster. Limbo Jr., I think, makes the roster. They just brought in uh, Robert Foster. He's another speed guy. I think he'd make the roster. I think Albert Wilson makes the roster. So you're literally looking at Preston Williams, Isaiah Ford, Malcolm Perry, Jakeem Grant, Kirk Merritt, Alan Hearns, Kyle Oxley, and Mack Hollins for one spot. I think there's a very realistic chance the Dolphins walk with seven wide receivers. Preston Williams probably is your best bet from a talent perspective and potential perspective. Uh, But I do think there is room for Miami to transition away from either him or Devontae Parker. It seems as though that style of play, particularly with Parker, did not mesh overly well with Tua Tagovailoa. It felt forced at times. And, you know, that's an unfortunate reality. It's the same thing uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns with Odell Beckham. There's no questioning the physical talent of Odell Beckham. But Baker Mayfield threw the ball better when he was throwing two receivers not named Odell and when Odell was not on the field. I don't think it's that severe in Miami with Devontae Parker. Uh, But I do think from a chemistry perspective, that is one that needs work. And a lot of times when you've seen that in Miami, uh, it's it's hard to get that traction and get that thing settled. You think about Mike Wallace and Ryan Tannehill and how hard that was, just conflicting styles, right? Um, But I do think as things currently stand, I'm not going to project force or force trades or anything like that. So give me Parker... Fuller, Waddle, Williams, Bowden, Foster, 
as a special teams guy slash return candidate slash speed backup, and then Albert Wilson. Those would be my three. If Miami was going to move on from Albert Wilson, I feel like that would already be done uh, because there was a financial incentive to do so, and instead Miami opted to get rid of a more expensive player in Bobby McCain. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules or brake parts, taillight, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog. And in just a few clicks, you can get everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs, right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. There was one more bit of news, and, and I did not see any questions pertaining to this, so I wanted to make sure I touched on it here. Peter King had a report yesterday that was interesting, and the report was that the Dolphins, despite taking a week six trip to London, specifically requested from the league to have a later bye week and play in week seven anyway. Here's Here's what Peter King wrote, and remember, Peter King is the same guy who had the exclusive interview with Brian Flores and Chris Greer after the draft to talk about their decision-making process to take this trade from 3 to, uh, to, to 12 and back to 6. Here's what King wrote on yesterday's Football Morning in America column. Four teams play in London this year, Jets-Falcons on October 10th and Dolphins-Jaguars on October 17th, both at 9.30 a.m. The Jets, Falcons, and Jaguars have buys following the game. The Dolphins don't. They return from London to play a 1 p.m. home game with Atlanta the following week. Turns out Miami asked to not have its buy the following week from the London game. Miami wanted a later buy, and though the week 14 buy means they play their first 13 games without a break, I still think, this being Peter King, still think it's better to have the buy much later than week 7. Plus, there's this. It's likely banning travel snafus that the Dolphins will get back from the London game by about 1.15 a.m. on Monday morning. Miami plays at Las Vegas in week three, a 4.05 Eastern time game, barring travel snafus there, too. The Dolphins should be returning to South Florida by 1.45 a.m. So Miami's reasoning, I'm sure, was let's not blow our bye early, especially when the London game and its travel timeline is just like coming home from a West Coast game that kicks at 4.05. Really interesting. Really interesting. Um... It appears as though perhaps there was some speculation here as far as the motivations, but Peter King is reported that the Dolphins requested a later buy and the league uh, granted that request. That's great. So, you know, if they wanted the later buy, they wanted to prioritize the later buy, and they also play one road game from November 1st to Christmas Day, okay. You know, and Miami, we we talk about the challenging first six games. It uh the the strength of schedule as things currently stand, and of course that each of the teams will be different than they were last year. But based off of last year's record, Miami's strength of schedule is amongst the six or so easiest in the league. And with that off my chest, let's go ahead and transition to Twitter question. The first one comes from Ian Carter. 
Hi, Kyle. Love the show. So what do we know about our latest addition, Trill Williams? So Trill Williams is a six foot two, 200-pound corner from Syracuse, and he was one of the stunners from the 2021 draft to not get his name called and go undrafted. There's a handful of these guys each and every year. I can tell you from our work over at the Draft Network, Trill Williams was the only player that received a top 100 evaluation who did not get drafted in this year's class. Now, he played in five games this year. He had an ankle injury that caused him to end his season prematurely. Uh, He was cut by the Saints at the end of last week for failing a physical, and the Saints tried to sign him back, but after the waiver wire was processed over the weekend, it became known that the Dolphins had claimed Trill Williams, and he's now a member of the Miami Dolphins. So you can add him to the list of the 18,000 other defensive backs that the Dolphins have on the roster, Uh, but he's big, he's physical, and he's versatile. There's some slot capabilities, there's some outside corner capabilities, there's some safety dynamics at play here. Uh, So Trill Williams, he's a little rough around the edges. He has four career interceptions, he has three career forced fumbles. He physically looks the part. And if you asked me, before the Dolphins signed Trill Williams... Who the undrafted free agent was that was most likely to make the roster, I would have pointed you to Robert Jones, the interior offensive lineman from Middle Tennessee State. But our collective group between myself, Joe Marino, Dre Harris, who's a seven-year scout in the NFL, and Jordan Reed, who's one of the best in the biz, we collectively watched, cross-checked, and all graded and averaged out our grades on Trill Williams, and he earned a top 100 evaluation for us as a potential late day two selection just based on his physical talents. So whatever his medical situation is, obviously the failed physical that caused him to be cut by New Orleans caused him or contributed to him being undrafted in this year's class. It's significant. Uh, So that's going to be the big barrier. But if you get a healthy Trill Williams, I think Trill Williams has a better chance to make the roster than what Robert Jones does just from a talent perspective. So that from that perspective, it is an exciting low-risk move for the Dolphins to kind of continue to, quote-unquote, churn the bottom of the roster, right, and, and look for diamonds in the rough. This is a good example of that. you know. And when you churn the roster, you're typically looking for these young guys that are cheap, not necessarily looking at veterans that are established or have been in the league for a while or looking for a third contract or anything like that. You know, that, that's that's retooling and, and rebuilding for depth and play, paying for veteran depth. When you churn, you're, you're getting a guy, rid of a guy that wouldn't make your team and you're trying to find a guy who can give you a little something more with a minimal to zero risk proposition. King of Finland. Choose one Dolphins legend in their prime to add to the current roster. Ricky Williams. Zach Thomas, Dwight Stevenson, and Jake Scott, you monster, sir. Dwight Stevenson got a lot of love. And the reason I don't think I'm going to pick Dwight Stevenson is strictly because the style of play back then, the size of the trenches back in the day, uh, is very different than what you get now in the trenches. Dwight Stevenson, one of the best centers 
in NFL history. He was six foot two, 255 pounds. He played from 1980 to 1987. Five Pro Bowls, four All Pros, career cut short because of a cheap shot from the Jets. But a 255-pound center is probably not going to translate overly well to today's game. Whereas I guarantee you, Ricky Williams' style of play would fit within the structure and the confines of this offense. So give me Ricky if you told me that we could do without the detours away from the gridiron for Ricky in the prime of his career. If I could get like... 2003, Ricky, I'm putting that dude on this offense. I'm putting that dude on this offense, and we will stretch you vertically. And if you go too high and we got six-on-six blocking surface, I'm going to run Ricky right down your throat. That would be my choice. That was not the popular choice. Dwight Stevenson was the the, the popular choice. Got a couple questions about Deshaun Watson. Uh, in today's solicitation for takes on takes. And I'm to be honest, guys, I'm, I'm not going to touch Deshaun Watson uh, until there's the needed legal clarity on what's going on with his off-the-field situation. Uh, it's just I understand there's a bunch of speculation out there and so on and so forth, and uh, I, I'm just not going to get into it. It's not the appropriate time in my eyes to talk about Deshaun Watson when – there are the allegations that exist against him that need to be resolved before we can talk about him playing football, regardless of what team that comes for, quite frankly. So I see the the, the questions there. I understand the, the interest in it. But in, in my eyes, it's just not the appropriate time to talk about Deshaun. All that stuff's got to get sorted out first. Let's see. Our next question comes from Christian. Kyle, I love the podcast and peanut butter brownie built bars. A man of culture, Christian. What's up, my friend? It seems as though Waddle will be our starting kick slash punt returner for special teams. Do you have any concerns about this since he's obviously more prone to get injured since he's taking those reps? Yes and no. Uh, I think you want to make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck for a talent. And when the Dolphins drafted Waddle, they acknowledged special teams value. They inevitably did. Now, this was not drafting Teddy Ginn and his family to play kick returner for the Dolphins at number nine overall. Waddle is a much more dynamic receiver right now than what I thought Ted Ginn was coming out. Now, granted, I did not study the draft to the depth of of which I am now when Teddy Ginn was drafted. But even still, like Teddy ended up having a nice little career for himself. Uh, top 10 worthy? No, probably not. But I digress. I think it's important for the Dolphins to make sure that this investment that they've made, you want to find ways to get this guy to touch the football. And I think that does include special teams game. Now, maybe not kickoff. You know, let's, let's pick one. Uh, I think you have plenty of candidates to return kicks. Javon Holland is another guy who's got some dynamic return ability with the ball in his hands. Uh, you have a couple other speedy wide receivers that you could maybe get the ball into their hands. But I, I, I do agree, Christian. I do think to some degree it is a little inevitable that he's going to contribute on teams because the Dolphins were very quick to point to his special teams value when they drafted him in this past year's draft. Uh, Julian. 
Dolphins plus 110 to make the playoffs. How much are you willing to put on that? I might put a hundo on that. I might drop a hundred bucks on that and, and hope for the best. And, uh, if it doesn't materialize, then I'll drop another hundred on eBay dolphins apparel to, to kind of buy away the, the frustrations of two (laughs) near misses with the postseason with this regime. Next question from Turo, uh, Monday's episode of the show, uh, saying that Vegas has better betting odds on the Patriots to finish second in the AFC East than the Dolphins. Dolphins had four more wins last year. Uh, can you explain why that is? Uh, Miami six and ten. I believe New England was seven and nine. Uh, but of course, it's the Bill Belichick factor, and it's the fact that the Patriots went out and spent like two hundred million dollars in free agency this past offseason. So everybody's kind of taking the cheese on New England being back. And and I think, uh, and we, we've alluded to this a little bit, they may be in a position to potentially start slow because of all the new starters because you look at all the new names and it's it's a bunch of guys that did not play there last year, particularly the skill groups and defensively for them uh, outside of the secondary. Question from Alejo. Who do you think will be the other coverage linebacker in nickel formation assuming four D linemen in Agba, Davis, Wilkins, and Phillips, besides Jerome Baker, can McKinney fill that role? And somebody else further down, and I, I don't have it right in front of me right now, asked me about, you know, what the personnel is going to look like on base versus third down. I think with the Dolphins go nickel, I think you're, mo- you're more likely to see Raquan Davis come off the field than you are to see Bernardrick McKinney come off the field because McKinney can give you value not in man-to-man coverage, but in, in shallow zone coverage. And as a pressure player, when the Dolphins go with their uh, 5-0 package uh, in their pass rush in nickel, and they can get into it out of dime as well, but it's pretty much forcing opposing offensive linemen uh, to kind of man up across the front because you're putting defenders down into the A-gap in the pre-snap. So they have to just kind of go, okay, we're going to go across the board and go man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, McKinney is a looper and a slanter and a crasher and a blitzer and in interior gaps gives you better push and value than what I think Raekwon Davis would as a hand-in-the-dirt kind of guy who you're going to ask to uh, try to rush the passer and get into gaps. So I think Davis would actually come off the field. You go nickel. And I think you could see Miami go with an extra safety or an extra defensive back, depending on matchup specific, uh, whether that's Brandon Jones or Javon Holland or Justin Coleman. But I think that's the best utilization of what Miami has is to go with three down linemen and then go eight guys between McKinney, Baker, and then six defensive backs. So I guess technically some variations of dime and big nickel and, and all that uh, I think is where Miami's personnel is best trended to. Um, and then the, the pressure really just falls on the defensive front to make sure that they are maintaining their gap integrity. Now, obviously, you're first and 10. You're facing a, the Las Vegas Raiders who like to pound the rock. Yeah, Raekwon Davis is going to be there. You're probably going to have a four-man front. You might even get into five-man fronts, odd fronts, uh, and and go with more three-four looks with going uh, Raekwon Davis, Christian Wilkins, and Zach Sealer as the guys who are, are down, and, and you go bare fronts there, which means you've got 
uh, defenders shaded over each of the three interior offensive linemen. And then you got Van Ginkle and Agba. And if you want to say, okay, well, that's your base defensive look, and, and Van Ginkle is going to be the Sam, and, and we're going to play an under front or something like that so that we can get him up on the line of scrimmage, and then it almost kind of replicates what a 3-4 defense would look like. There's a bunch of different things that they can do, and that's all the gamesmanship that's going to take place in a week-in, week-out basis for the Dolphins to try and identify matchups that they think are favorable to put their guys in positions, be multiple, which is what exactly that means, which means we can go 4-3 under front, we can go 3-4 front with a bear uh, slash mint uh, with the down lineman. You can go with a dime package or a big nickel or a regular nickel. Like, they're going to feel comfortable in doing it all. So then it's, okay, which of our athletes can we blend this week to put the best matchup out there and really put the opposing team into conflict to match up with them? I got two more. Aaron wants to know if Jalen Phillips being listed as a linebacker, does that mean he will take some of Van Noy's old reps? I figured he'd be taking Shaq Lawson's. I'm sure it'll be a little bit of both. Um, when they need to go bigger personnel, would not be surprised to see him play some Sam linebacker. Uh, on the line of scrimmage, of course, I'm not, not going to ask him to turn and run and, and play zone drops or anything like that of substance, but Jalen Phillips is a good enough athlete where if you ask him to play out in space on the edge and not just always be in attack mode playing forward, I think he's good enough to do it. I think he's dynamic enough to do it. Uh, I would still predominantly expect him to be a hand-in-the-dirt rush kind of guy, but they will use and find the best ways to get his versatility out there, and I would not be surprised at all if that includes some sparing reps in a Van Noy-esque role as a stand-up two-point stance guy on the end of line of scrimmage. Last one of the day, and it's a good one to tap into. It comes from Paul, and Paul wants to know, what is your win prediction for the San Francisco 49ers given that we have their first round pick next year? Now, of course, I did this when I did the, the schedule prediction for the Dolphins last Friday. I went through the entire NFL and picked all 17 games for all 32 teams, and I have those rankings up in front of me courtesy of our friends at PlayoffPredictors.com. The Dolphins, of course, I had finishing 12-5, and five, second in the AFC East. The San Francisco 49ers... I also have making the playoffs. Miami was the uh, a wild card. The 49ers, also a wild card. They actually finished in a three-way tie in this projection with the Rams and Seahawks for the division title, but they lost out on a tiebreaker to the Rams, finishing the year 10-7, making them the sixth seed in the NFC playoffs, which would book them a date in the first round in Washington against the Washington football team. So a potential for them uh, to win a playoff game. Now, Miami would have a chance to, to kind of equal it, which means this thing would go right down to the wire into mid-January to find out if the Dolphins' bet on draft positioning was the right bet to make or not. Uh, but they, they will be close closely evaluated as far as how I had forecasted the teams, although San Francisco I did have with two less wins than my projection for the Dolphins that I revealed last Friday. I hope you guys enjoyed. We, we had a lot that we dug into today. There was a bunch that we did not. If I did not get to your questions, please consider checking out Dolphins Wire. I'm the managing editor of that site. I write 
five to seven articles a day pertaining to the Miami Dolphins every day. So uh, these questions are always great sources of inspiration to understand what you fans are thinking and what you want to talk about and and what insights are valuable. And I try and tackle those to kind of get some written content out there as well. So if I missed your questions, and there were a bunch that I feel really bad about, and I told myself I was going to try and move quickly and be shorter today because we're into uh, the doldrums of May. And sure enough, when you know, we're sitting here looking at another 38, 40-minute podcast. So great job on that, Kyle. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and wrap it here. But if I did not get your questions, check out Dolphins Wire. There's a good chance I might get into some of those questions that you have uh, from a written perspective there. I'm Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I always appreciate hearing from each and every one of you. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. we got three more shows this week, some bigger topics coming pertaining to some things that were revelations early this week, including Miles Gaskin's comments about the playbook being, quote, very different than 2020. We'll dig into that tomorrow. Keep it locked in. Fins up. Thanks for listening.